What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined by Nicole Yang and Chris Granham. And this series is pretty much over. The uh, Celtics lost 141 to 126 to the New, uh, New Jersey Nets. It is 12:27 a.m. So the Brooklyn Richard Nets. Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, <laughs> Kerry Kittles, just Jason all around Kidd, effort, all around triple double. <laughs> uh, they they actually lost the Brooklyn Nets, who got huge performances from all three of their big three: 40 points from Kevin Durant, 39 from Kyrie Irving, uh, 18 assists from James Harden. I mean, the Celtics were shorthanded. Even if they weren't shorthanded, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made tonight. Takeaways. The first quarter was impressive, especially given how shorthanded they are. Like when you hear Kemba Walker and Robert Williams aren't playing, like you really already question how this is going to go. And then in the first quarter, I feel like everyone was thinking, wow, like we really got a series on our hands here. Like this is going to be interesting. And then in the second quarter, it just fell apart and continued to spiral. But continuing with Geno Time's theme, since things sort of took a turn earlier in the season, it's encouraging for next year. Like there's so many reasons to be positive for next year and like even going lower on the priority list like Romeo Langford getting a playoff start I think is good like these young guys getting more minutes like some of the lineups at the end of the first quarter were kind of ridiculous I guess mainly in the second quarter but one of them was Grant Jabari Peyton Pritchard Shemi and Tatum and I was like oh man this is pretty rough and it actually like went pretty well and then it turned into Grant Romeo Peyton Pritchard Shemi and Fournier and that one didn't fare as well so like they clearly were thin but it, it was impressive at least that they kept things competitive for the first quarter it wasn't like start to finish just a, a bulldoze I had a lot of fun watching that first quarter like the energy in the building was out of this world it was really really awesome and I thought the Celtics played well like Jason Tatum was really aggressive off the bat and I thought the Celtics were pretty good on both sides of the ball the Nets got a whole lot better on both sides of the ball especially in the second and third quarter but the first quarter was without question the most enjoyable portion Kyrie wasn't really settled in quite yet early on he still looked a little iffy to start I want to say it was like a couple minutes left in that first quarter. He hit a step back three and just kind of like gave like an expression like, all right, like finally, like because he had been struggling obviously in game three. And then from that point on, he was just lethal. So that kind of opened things up in the second quarter when Brooklyn just went to work and really limited Jason Tatum. And then they just couldn't miss really for two straight quarters. That was kind of the story of the middle portions of the game and really the whole game. Kyrie got to the line seven times in the first quarter. So I feel like that was big for the Nets and maybe big for him individually in just terms of, I mean, he was a 50, 40, 90 guy. So just seeing shots go down helped him sort of get into a rhythm moving forward because he doesn't average nearly that many free throw attempts per game. So I feel like that was probably a big deal. Definitely, especially considering that he was struggling from the field. I mean, he that that was big. And then, you know, obviously Kevin Durant just being otherworldly 
The Celtics had nothing for him. <laughs> Anything they threw at him, any guy they threw at him, I mean, even Tatum struggled to guard him. And Tatum is like, you know, roughly Durant's size and a really good defender. But like, even every time Tatum had him, it still felt like Durant was going to get whatever he wanted. I mean, when, and when those two were cooking like that, I mean, Harden took 12 shots tonight, finished with 23 points. You know, like, like there's only so much you can do when uh, those three guys are playing that well. I think through three quarters, but definitely through the first half, like those three guys were basically like on pace with the Celtics scoring Nets, big three 59 Celtics 60 at the half. And then I think it like continued into the third quarter too. Like with a couple minutes left in the third, they had 80 and the Celtics had 77 and there was like two minutes left in the third quarter. It was ridiculous. They had nothing for any of them. And that was always going to be the case when it became clear that, um, you know, Celtics were going to be missing three out of their five starters. You know, like you guys were saying, like that first quarter was really fun and it did kind of look like, I mean, the Celtics were clearly buoyed by their crowd. Like Jason Tatum just kind of grinning as he hits a three-pointer like early in the game and like just like the roof goes off the place. Like it was, it was really fun. Even as they were like being pretty competitive, especially when Kyrie got going a little bit early, it started to feel like an ooh. Like, (laughs) like, I don't know how sustainable this is. And it just, it wasn't. Like you said, Nicole, like the lineups that they put out there wasn't Brad's fault. Like, you know, he just had nobody to put out there. And he tried some stuff like Shemi went, got a couple of minutes and like, you know, made one kind of nice play actually is what it is. The Celtics didn't have the pieces tonight. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty obvious that that was going to be the case pretty early on. Even if they had Kemba Walker tonight and even Rob Williams, you're not going to be able to beat the Brooklyn Nets if they're shooting the way they were tonight. Like you have Kevin Durant scoring 42 points on 14 of 20 shooting. He took three threes. He scored 42 points. They could have thrown anyone on him with a full roster. Maybe, you know, obviously no Jalen, but outside of him, like if they have Rob, they have Kemba, I still don't think it makes a difference tonight. Like, sure, maybe it's a closer game. They're not going to beat that team. And that I just kept having that thought throughout the game. Credit the Celtics. They didn't really cave at any point. They kept fighting and they, I thought that was somewhat commendable. They could have just kind of folded at various points of that second half and they didn't. They hung around as much as they could, but they were never realistically within shouting distance or within reach here. Yeah, I think that's something that's been impressive from this whole series is the Celtics resolve, like something that we talked about so much throughout the regular season and their pride. And even though they got blown out tonight and this series was never really theirs at all, or like the possibility of them winning has always been so slim before it even started. Like they have been showing a lot of pride and they've been fighting and you can tell that like the players are taking this seriously. And I I think that's huge based on how the regular season went. Tatum after the game, one of the last things he said, he said, we just kept telling each other right to the end, right to the end. They tried really hard. And like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like in the regular season, a moral victory means virtually nothing. And in the playoffs, a moral victory means even less. But at the same time, it's like at a certain point, what do you what do you want them to do? Like they played very hard tonight. I mean, Tatum put up 40 in a loss. I like smart Fournier. These guys are offensively they're supplemental players they're good supplemental players but that's that's what they are they were put into roles that were just that that aren't supposed to be the roles that they're in like fully realized the Celtics have Jalen Brown and a healthy Kemba Walker on the floor and that wasn't going to be the case tonight I mean they were lucky to be down 13 at the half like that and I think part of that comes with their they did have like a little bit of resolve mid-game because even when the Nets put up that 40 point second quarter and they were really heating up. And you could tell it was going to turn into one of those games for Brooklyn where like, you're going to have to score 140 if you want to be in this game or else you're in trouble. 
And at that point, you could really fold, but they didn't. I thought some of the some of the bench guys did step up, specifically Neesmith and Pritchard, I thought were pretty good tonight. And they both had to have some increased roles. I, I don't know. I you're just kind of looking for anything you're grasping for straws a little bit, but I did think Pritchard and Neesmith did pretty well in those increased positions they were in tonight. And I'm sure like this is an adjustment for them, not only like playoff basketball, but like a full crowd for them on this stage has to be like, they have to be shook to an extent that can't be easy. So for them to fare well under these circumstances and just to get these experiences, I think are good for the Celtics moving forward. It really is wild when you think about the fact that like Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard just played their first game in front of a full capacity NBA crowd. (laughs) That is wild. And their first game was a TD Garden playoff game against like the hated Kyrie Irving and the hated Brooklyn Nets. Like that's insane. Uh, I mean, what a, what a, what a strange, strange season. I don't know. I mean, you know, you guys were saying like they, they played pretty well. I thought especially Neesmith really looked, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some real game five minutes because I think one of the things that's happened is, is as the Celtics have just kind of lost player after player after player, it's just gotten so hard for Jason Tatum and Neesmith might be, you know, a player who can give him a little bit of an outlet. He made a couple threes. He looked comfortable. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, if he got a little extra time. Yeah, Neesmith and uh, Pritchard, I just looked it up. They both played in front of an average of about 8,000 people in college. (laughs) And they were probably pretty passive crowds. Oregon could get some rowdy crowds for sure in Pac-12 play. But man, uh, Vanderbilt, not so much. (laughs) No question. So, I mean, we, we mentioned it before. Tatum, 40 points tonight, 22 shots. The Nets threw everything at him. I don't know why the Nets went away from just throwing everything at Jason Tatum and making every other Celtic beat them. Why? I don't know why they went away from that in game three. Like, were they that worried about Kemba Walker? Like, I don't understand what the thought process was there. Tonight, like, yeah, Jason Tatum scored 40, but he worked real hard for those 40, and the Celtics never really had a chance. Like, it was a weird decision to me to, to going into trying to, like, single cover Tatum um, and then, like, maybe bringing a double every once in a while. I felt like they were much more aggressive with their doubling and tripling sometimes on Tatum tonight. I would have been yeah. fascinated if Kemba Walker played to see what they would have done. Cause I think they were, that's the only explanation you could possibly have is that they had serious concern for Kemba on the offensive end. There's no other reason to single cover Jason Tatum and tonight they probably could have put all five guys on Jason Tatum. And the fact that he was able to, to get 40 points on what was it 22 shots that's unreal considering the pressure he was under so it was pretty remarkable to to see him finish with that I think one of the most impressive things about what Tatum has done over the last two games is that he has really shown that like you can't do anything to stop him scoring you know even if you even if you double triple team him he's just going to get more aggressive trying to draw fouls because he was 17 for 17 from the free throw line tonight like I mean over the last few weeks he's gotten to the line a lot and that really speaking of things to bode well you know going into next season he's getting superstar calls and he's attacking the rim really hard and I think both of those things are gonna are gonna play in his favor next year I've like kind of thought this throughout the regular season too, but like he, especially right now, like he's actually getting the calls. He needs to chill with the complaining. Like, I'm sorry. Like the tech was so dumb. Like he didn't get back on defense at all. Not that they were really like in it, but like, you're going to get the calls, Jason. You're good enough to get them. Your game has also developed to the point where like you are able to draw, like he's knows how to play through contact now. I don't get why he fixates on it so much. Sometimes it does take away, like if a team gets out in transition after a miss or something like he, 
it hurts their defensive possessions on the following on the following possession. And that can be a legitimate problem in a close game. But I, I do agree. It does kind of take away from his game a little bit. And listen, Jason, you are an all NBA talent. You're going to get the calls. Like Nicole said, you're at the line 17 times tonight. So I know you're listening to Gino time as you always do. Just like peel it back a little bit on the complaining and on the other hand, his offensive bag is so incredible, even in comparison to where it was like a year ago. If he was getting this kind of pressure on him at the beginning or middle of last season, no chance he comes close to 40 points. And granted, that comes with him embracing contact and getting inside. And just the things he does off the dribble now are so vast compared to what his uh, I don't know. He it, it wasn't like it was bad at any point when he was younger in his career, but he's just so much more versatile with his scoring package. And I think that tonight specifically is a prime example of that other than that i mean i don't feel like there's much else to say about this one like the celtics won game three they played fantastic in game three they came out pretty good in game four and the nets are just a much better basketball team like this was basically what we expected and honestly i think one of the things that we said before the series was like look the nets are a lot better if the celtics can push them a little bit um that's something of a win and now the celtics have pushed them a little bit they beat them in game three they made them work a little bit in game four. And then, you know, but like, especially given all the people who are out, especially just given the pure talent level on the nets, this feels like about as good as the Celtics could have asked for in this series, where I think everybody knew coming in that like, this was about as bad a matchup as the Celtics could have in the first round. Like this was, this was the worst possible team they could, I feel, I think they could have faced in the first round. And yeah. I, I kind of expected a sweep. I think, I think we all expected that it's going to be five. You're missing three out of your five starters against James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. A five-game series seems perfectly acceptable to me. Tom, I think the Celtics might be able to win this series, Westerholm. I kind of expected a sweep. <laughs> That's a very true. valid point. I'm glad you brought that up. Strong point by Nicole. But... Yeah, I kind of expected both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I expected them to both win and lose. I was very medium Listen, on them. <laughs> I'm Yeah, I, I'm very, uh, I, I expected them to cover my bases one way or the other. That's what I expected. <laughs> the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So all all the drama after the game. Um, We'll start with the one that matters, which is a fan chucking a water bottle uh, at Kyrie as he walked off the floor. It missed Kyrie by a little bit. Everybody stopped and kind of pointed to the fan. It's just kind of inexcusable. Like, don't throw things at players. That just super crosses a line. I don't know. Just kind of a real ugly way to end it, I felt like. What Kyrie said after the game is was really spot on. If you go to a game and you pay enough attention to things people say or things people yell or whatever, there always has been an issue with arrogant fans at sporting events treating the players, coaches, whoever's on the field, their quote-unquote entertainment as zoo animals, essentially. Like, And I know that's been used by players in the past, and it was used by Kyrie tonight. And it's really, really frustrating 
because it's been an ongoing problem and James Harden noted it tonight. Like clearly the bands for life aren't stopping people because it just keeps happening. So like, I'm, I don't have the answers here and obviously it's a really complicated thing, but focusing on what Kyrie said, it is like a real, real issue within fan bases that a lot of these entitled, like he said, entitled fans treat athletes and players like they're just like animals or at the circus or something. It's, it's awful. Tonight was a prime example of it. Fan behavior across the league clearly is an issue because they've been the story after several games this postseason alone. You have Russell Westbrook in the popcorn. You have John Morant's dad and jazz fans getting into it. Now you have this and it's just embarrassing. It's like, I don't get what they expect to get out of it. Like as John Morant's dad even said, I love trash talk, but like when you cross a line, it's like, why just like what's going through your mind in this moment like you really need to throw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving like the thing that's that sucks about it too is it's okay to like like a big part of the fun of sports is are these some of these rivalries right like it's I mean it is okay to like of course it's okay to like boo Kyrie Irving like of course Celtics fans like dislike him like I get it like you know I, I think everybody does like even you know even uh, Kyrie's dad was asked about it this week and Kyrie's dad was like yeah I'm sure Kyrie wishes he hadn't said that he was coming back to Boston like everybody gets why Celtics fans don't like Kyrie and all of that is absolutely zero justification for chucking stuff at Kyrie Irving. You just don't like, don't do that. I, I, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with being a passionate fan. The problem is when, and, and I thought that Kevin Durant used the right word for this. The problem is when you're a childish fan, yeah. because a child, when they don't get their way, yeah. things don't go exactly. They, you know, they throw things. Or, you know, they start like <laughs> crying, which in, you know, like after, uh, after every poor performance this season, uh, Grenham, Nicole never tweets, but Grenham, you and I just had people constantly crying in our, you know, in our mentions on Twitter and stuff like that. Like the problem is when fans are childish and, you know, throwing things at players is childish. It is, it is, it is fine and good. I mean, it, it, like to be passionate about your sports teams, it's fun, but there's such a huge difference between being passionate about your sports teams and being an asshole. Like Kevin Durant said, just grow up, dude. What Kevin Durant said was like spot on. Yeah. And Kyrie got heckled for four straight quarters earlier this week. And in the post game, he was like, yeah, I've played in hostile environments. It's kind of what's part of sports. And I'm looking forward to the challenge. Like they accept that. They don't accept it when you act like a child, you step over the line, you, you yell racial slurs, you throw things at them. Rightfully so, the players aren't going to accept something like that. Kevin Durant's reading back Kevin Durant's quote now, it was as good as you could encapsulate. He said, we're not animals. We're not in this circus. You coming to the game is not all about you as a fan. So have some respect for the game, have some respect for these human beings and have some respect for yourself. Your mother wouldn't be proud of you throwing water bottles at players or spitting at players or tossing popcorn. So grow the fuck up and enjoy the game. It's bigger than you. I think that's a pretty good way to encapsulate the whole thing. The other uh, post-game drama, and this one, I don't know. This one's just kind of funny to me that like people made it into such a big deal. After the game, Kyrie was high-fiving his, uh, his teammates as they walked off the court. And uh, he walked to the Celtics logo and stomped on the leprechaun and then walked away. And Celtics fans lost their minds. And I got to say, I mean, I, I tweeted this after the game, but like the Celtics fans spent the entire game chanting, 
fuck you, Kyrie, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Like, you know, just booing him every time he touched the ball. He scored 39 points, and his team went up 3-1 in the series. And it's like, look, if you can dish out fuck you, Kyrie, and uh, booing him for 48 straight minutes, if Kyrie comes out and scores 39 points, I feel like you should just be ready for him to dish it back to you by stepping on the logo's head. Like, he's not... But yes, he's disrespecting your franchise. Sorry, you've disrespected him for 48 minutes. Like, I don't Very know. Very fair. <laughs> like, completely uh, fair. If you get to shout and swear at him for a whole game and be mad at him, he can do that to you. Also, if you don't want him to, then your team should beat him. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't know. I think it's totally fair. That's part of the stuff he was talking about after the game the other night, where that's just part of sports. And if you say that fans yelling that stuff at him is part of sports, but it's disrespectful to stomp on a, a leprechaun on hardwood, then I don't know what we're really doing here. I just think that's a little weird. In general, I have issues with like revering a logo on either a field or court. But I think actually of all people, Kendrick Perkins phrased it well when he said, in my opinion, the performance that Kyrie put on tonight in the garden, he deserved to celebrate however he pleased, as long as it didn't cause no harm to nobody. Just saying. And he was quote tweeting somebody who called Kyrie classless for stomping on the logo and i'm sorry again like i already take issue with just the whole premise of viewing the logo as this like sacred item but this should not be a topic of conversation in my opinion honestly i mean it just it's just people trying to manufacture something to be mad about i think like or like manufacture another reason to be mad at Kyrie because like 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 disrespect yeah of course he was disrespectful like what like, do you think you could just have... I don't think Kyrie stomping on the logo is disrespectful. I think it... I mean, I, I, I don't it's, know. I, I, that is not disrespectful. Well, I'm I think sorry. he knew it's it was going inanimate... to... I think he knew it was going to piss people off. And so, like, maybe he was, like, trying to be, like, somewhat... I guess it's symbolic. And in that, in, like, the sports realm, it might be yeah. disrespectful. Imagine, like, laying this out in words. Like, <laughs> yeah, in he this... used to play for our team. Yeah. And he told us he was going to come back and he left and we don't like him anymore. And someone's listening to you and they're like, okay, that sounds fair. So then he came back and we yelled at him a lot, but he did really well. And then when he was leaving, we have a, a guy who represents our team and there's a picture of him on the floor and he stomped on it. And that's as disrespectful as it gets. <laughs> Imagine someone be like, like What? <laughs> One of the tweets I saw this evening, we must protect the sanctity of the painted leprechaun man. Like, <laughs> and then somebody else replied to the reporter that said it was classless and said, oh shit, this changes everything. Is the logo okay? Like, <laughs> I saw someone <laughs> say, uh, posting a green square on social media <laughs> in solidarity with the leprechaun. <laughs> Uh, disrespectful isn't even like really the word I was looking for. I, I mean, so so the thing is though that like people were using that as like, well, obviously he's mad at the fans, but what did the organization ever do to him? You know, they you know they catered to him, they did X, Y, and Z, and all of that is true, but that's not Kyrie's fault. And also like, it's still not disrespectful though. Like I'm yeah. sorry. Like in my opinion, stomping on the logo falls under like the same grounds of just like general trash talk and. Trash talk. 
That's what it is. Yeah. I really yeah. don't view it as this like evil act. Also, I feel like in basketball, the logo thing is like way less of a an issue than compared to football. Like I know Juju Smith Schuster had the whole thing where he would do like a TikTok dance on the opposing team logo before every game. And logos have never been. I mean, maybe I'm out of touch, but I feel like logos just have never been of importance in basketball to begin with. I mean, in football, Terrell Owens scored a touchdown, ran to the Dallas Cowboys logo after scoring the touchdown and got tackled by an opponent after the play because he was standing on their logo. (laughs) So yeah, it's like, I 100% agree. It's like not, I feel like it's not really the same in basketball, but, but the leprechaun has a face. He stepped on his face. One of the guys in my mentions was like, okay, but it's pretty weird that you had to make such a public display like that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my God. I That's what's making it more, we know like, like us poking fun at this, isn't a saying like all Celtics fans are obsessed with the Celtics logo, right. but the people on Twitter who are like defending it, it is objectively funny reading people calling that like a classless, disrespectful act, like a public act. It's like classless is a wild, wild word. In the same breath, he was calling the fan who threw the water bottle classless and was like, both need to grow up. And it's like, all right, we're definitely not equating these two things, let alone calling the logo stomp classless. But anyway, uh, Sirius, so he just tweeted, that leprechaun had a family. (laughs) (laughs) It has created some great content on the other side of it. People poking fun of it. Like, it's hilarious to me that, like, think about the blood, sweat, and tears that Jason Tatum put in this year for the Boston Celtics, right? Like, just the amount of work, the amount of just, like, everything that he had to put into this season for the Celtics. Imagine Jason Tatum caring that Kyrie Irving stepped on the logo. And then imagine Joe Schmo who like is so offended by Kyrie stepping on the logo that he has to like make 400 Twitter posts about it and argue like with every, have a one-sided argument with every, you know, media person who tweets about it. That man, Joe Schmo is, is just wildly offended by this in a way that Jason Tatum, the man who put all of this work in for the Celtics just is not. It's a wild scene. On that note, let's get to our Geno Time draft tonight. Of course, brought to you by our friends at Shades on Beer Company. Go to the Shades on Beer Garden uh, tasting room in West Kingston, Rhode Island. If you're a Celtics fan in Rhode Island, you can enjoy a Geno Time Stout or any of their other beers that they have there. Um, They are uh, tonight going to sponsor our draft solely covering the first quarter of this game because that was the most fun portion of the game for Celtics fans and the Celtics alike. So I did the random organizer earlier in the episode. It has Tom, myself, and then Nicole. Well, so my first pick is an easy one for me. I deeply enjoy just from like a, from a things are getting back to normal perspective. I really enjoyed the place going crazy when Jason Tatum hit a three, you know, Tatum like hits the three and just has this giant grin on his face. Like you could just see how cool it was for the Celtics players early to just have fans back. It was fun. I mean, it, this this whole season, like the basketball has felt weird. I mean, you know, it, it's just it's just been a strange, strange season. And to kind of have a little bit of normalcy and and to get to see to get to see how much that meant to Tatum, it was pretty cool. So much fun. The environment in there was insane. And when he hit that three, Marcus Smart hit an early three, and then Fournier missed a three, and then Tatum hit the three from the corner, and like the roof practically blew off the place it was awesome and Tatum's genuine reaction a lot of times you have guys kind of in very locked in 
and for lack of a better term, locked in, and they're not really like interact with the crowd or anything. He enjoyed that quite a bit. So that was very cool. My pick's going to be along those same lines. The crowd right before tip off, like following the introductions, was just like roaring, a consistent roar leading up to tip off. And when the game actually tipped off, the crowd just went nuts for like a five second frame, like the Tatum three. And I thought that was pretty great. That kind of, I was sitting there like, this is really cool. It, it was, it was a very cool moment. So I thought that was great. So not anything really significant game wise, but I thought that was awesome. Okay. So I'm just going to blatantly break the rules and draft something that didn't happen in the first quarter, but was That's positive. Fine. And I was hoping that it happened during the first quarter. Grant Williams brought out his like traditional little spin move that he used all the time in college against James Harden and it worked, but then he missed the like bunny of a, he smoked a bunny hard. <laughs> it, it was bad, but he, it worked. Like I, I thought that was great. Like he was, I don't know if that was, if he was known for it, but it definitely was like a part of his offensive game in Tennessee. So it was, it was cool to see him bring that out, especially against James Harden, who I don't think was trying particularly hard on defense, but he very clearly got shook by the move. So that's going to be my first pick. And then if I'm trying to stick within the first quarter, I guess I'll just take Jason Tatum's 14 point performance and going seven of seven from the free throw line. Uh, He was plus six team high. So I'll just go with Jason Tatum's stat line. He was very good in the first quarter. I'm going to go a little off the guidelines as well and take something from warmups. Marcus Smart does his backward shot to finish off his routine. The entire stadium was very loudly living and dying with every attempt. It often takes Marcus Smart a decent amount of attempts. And when he hit it tonight, he takes the backward shot from the corner. I'm sure most people listening have seen it on Twitter or seen it in person. The place like erupted and he just sprinted, like pointing up, laughing, pointing up to the fans. And people were just, they were so excited to be there. And it was like anything that happened on the court during warmups was so tremendous. Like they were living and dying on every Kevin Durant shot during warmups. They were chanting like KD sucks during warmups. And every time he missed, they would go crazy. If he missed two in a row, which he didn't a lot, they would go absolutely nuts. So I guess I would kind of take warmups as a whole, but the Marcus Smart trick shot, the crowd really loved it. It was just kind of hilarious seeing at that point, there was probably like 12,000 people in there just kind of going ballistic. The the smart shot was electric. I guess for my last one, I'm going to, like Nicole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the uh, the boundaries of the first quarter. Uh, so really, it's just like the whole game and we didn't yeah, use two parameters the first quarter anyway, but that's <laughs> all right. I, I kind of liked, there was a moment um, when Tatum checked out for the last time, not for the last time, for what I thought was going to be the last time. Uh, he went over to a bike and sat down and there was, you know, like some applause, like people definitely kind of had a feeling like, Oh, I wonder if, I wonder if Tatum's coming back into this game or not. So he goes down and he sits on the bike and it was, it was just kind of cool. Cause like a lot of times this season, especially like when fans were starting to be allowed back in the arena, when there was just a few of them, like you really could hear it when people were screaming like negative things at the team. Cause they were yeah. playing like crap. And that was all fair. Like the team was playing really poorly, but when, you know, Tatum sat down to, uh, in tonight's game, there was just kind of this, like re- this, this very, like everyone just kind of, you could tell people wanted to make sure he knew that they appreciated how hard he was trying and how hard, you know, how hard he went this season. And especially at the end of the season, like how well he played, there was just like a lot of people yelling, like, you know, thank you, Jason. We love you, Jason. You know, you, you know, great job tonight. Like just people just kind of like yelling positive things, which was 
like a, a nice little change given uh, how everything else has gone this season. It was cool to hear people just kind of like being generally positive human beings. At one point this year, we had a fan scream, show us you care and have it echo through the entire arena. So yeah, I think that's a nice change up. I would agree with that. For sure. All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. Celtics Nets game four or game five, excuse me, is on Tuesday. We will podcast after it. And then I suspect we'll be into the off season, but we will see what happens. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened tonight. And we will talk to you all again later this week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.